0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. So I'll turn to the reading of God's Word, John chapter 20. On Friday, we read from John chapter 19, the death of Jesus. Towards the end of that chapter, we also read about his burial. And now we come to John 20 at verse 1. First, He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood out beside the tomb crying. As she wept she bent over to look into the tomb, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that He had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After He said this, He showed them His hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you.'" And with that, he breathed on them and said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven.'" Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "'We have seen the Lord.'" But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Our text for this Easter Sunday morning is John twenty verses one to nine, which we've already read together. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, is a saying. Seeing is believing. Or sometimes people say, I have to see it to believe it. For many people, those two things go together, don't they? Seeing and believing. If they can't see something with their own two eyes, they won't believe it. And I think that's easy to understand, even for the younger brothers and sisters here. If I tell you that tomorrow I'm going to give each one of you, imagine that, each one of you, A million dollars, what would you think? Well, you know that I'm an honest person. At least, I hope you know that. And you, but you also know that I'm not wealthy. That I, I'm so not so wealthy that I can give each person here a million dollars. So you might say when you hear me say that, that the pastor is kidding. Or maybe he's lying. Or maybe he's ignorant. Maybe he's mistaken. But maybe, Just maybe you would say, I'll wait until tomorrow and we'll see what happens. If he gives me the million dollars, then I'll believe him. Then I'll believe it. Have to see it to believe it. Seeing is believing, especially when we're speaking about something that is difficult to believe. Very difficult to believe. We find the same thing in our Bible passage for this Easter Sunday morning. In this passage... God uses the sight of the empty tomb to create faith, believing in the resurrection of Christ. Well, the resurrection happened on the first day of the week, on a Sunday morning. The Lord Jesus had been crucified, dead, and buried on Good Friday. As we heard on Friday morning, our Savior actively and willingly gave Himself up for us. And after saying, it is finished, he gave up his spirit and died. And afterwards, his body was taken to the tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph carried the body there together with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the man who had visited Jesus by night back in John chapter 3. And together they wrapped Jesus' body with linen and spices and placed Him in a fresh tomb in a garden. In a garden. By the way, notice how the story of our redemption begins in a garden and comes to a glorious climax in a garden just outside of Jerusalem. And now it was very early on Sunday morning. The sun had not yet come up. And there was Mary, Mary Magdalene, a friend of the Lord Jesus, She went out to the tomb where he had been laid, joined by a couple of other women. Now the nearest family members, the closest family members, would have stayed at home. They would have been mourning for seven days. That was a standard mourning period for Jews in that time. But friends and more distant family were known to visit tombs within the three days after the burial. And so it is here. In her devotion to Jesus, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb Not just to pay her respects, but also to place more spices on his body. Those spices, by the way, they were used to mask the smells associated with decomposition. When Mary arrived at the tomb, something caught her eye. Strange. There were no Roman soldiers there. The Jewish leaders remembered Jesus' words about his resurrection They remembered that He said that He would rise from the dead after three days. And they thought that what would happen is once He was dead, the disciples would come and they would steal His body. So the Jewish leaders, they went to Pilate and they asked for a guard on the tomb. An armed guard. And now, those soldiers were nowhere to be seen. Not only that, but someone somehow had moved that giant disc-shaped stone that was the door for the tomb. The tomb was wide open. Mary right away jumped to the logical conclusion. Someone had come along and stolen Jesus' body. She went running to Peter and John and told them what she saw. Right away, Mary made the assumption that either the Roman soldiers or the Jewish leaders must have taken the body. Why? We don't know. Maybe they put him in a criminal's grave. He doesn't belong in the the tomb of a rich man. He belongs with the criminals. Nevertheless, the fact is, the body is missing, and nobody knows where he went. Note the way that Mary speaks here. She says they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put Him. She recognizes that His body is an important part of His identity. This reflects the biblical understanding of who we are as human beings. We are made up of both material and immaterial parts. Our bodies are just as much a part of who we are as our souls. That's why we treat human bodies with respect, both in life and in death. And the resurrection of Christ proclaims to us that He is a complete Savior, that He saves everything about us, not just the immaterial, but also the material, not just the soul, but also the body. The Lord Jesus has victory over sin, And He has victory over death, which is a consequence of sin. He has victory over the grave, the grave where our physical bodies will be laid after we die. The victory He accomplished in His body is our victory. And someday, our physical bodies, these physical bodies that are sitting here in this church building right now, Someday these physical bodies will share in His glorious resurrection. The grave ultimately, brothers and sisters, had nothing on Him. And it will have nothing on us. Indeed, we can shout it out with Paul. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? What do Peter and John do when they hear the report of the missing body. Well, they don't take Mary's word for it. Like it or not, a woman's word was not worth very much in that time and in that culture. Peter and John had to go and check it out for themselves just to be sure. They might have done so at any rate. And so they jump up and start running for the tomb. John runs faster than Peter. And he gets there first. And he doesn't go inside, curiously. He simply stands on the outside, looking in. And he sees the pieces of linen cloth that were used to wrap Jesus' body, the grave clothes, but the body itself nowhere to be seen. And then the slowpoke shows up. And when Peter comes, he goes right into the tomb. You know Peter, impulsive. Always moving ahead. He wants to know exactly what's happened. Peter enters the tomb. He looks intently. He carefully examines the scene and he sees the pieces of cloth too. He also sees the cloth that had been around Jesus' head sitting there all neatly folded. But why is it important for John to note that in his gospel? Well, that means quite clearly that nobody had stolen the body. Not grave robbers, not Roman soldiers, and certainly not Jewish leaders. If any one of them had come and stolen the body, they they certainly wouldn't have left things so neat and tidy. They would have taken the body, the whole body, along with all the cloths wrapped around him. You know, there are those who say that Jesus only appeared to be dead on the cross. They say that when He was placed in the tomb, He was still alive, though perhaps just barely so. And then, of course, the resurrection was not a real resurrection. Because we all know resurrections don't happen. That doesn't explain how Jesus could have taken these burial cloths off His body. Those cloths would have been tightly wrapped around his body. It would have been like a straitjacket. And if he hadn't been dead when he arrived at the tomb, he certainly would have suffocated after having his body wrapped for burial. How can a barely alive man take these cloths off and then escape a sealed tomb? This is called the swoon theory. Right? The swoon theory, that Jesus was not really dead and then he just revived in the, in the tomb. He swooned. Well, that swoon theory also ignores the fact that the crucifixion was almost always a deadly punishment. The Jewish writer Josephus had three friends who had been crucified. You know, crucifixion happened quite a bit under Roman rule. So he had three friends who were crucified and then they were taken down alive from their crosses. And they received the best medical attention that was available in that time. And still two of them died. To survive crucifixion was virtually impossible. Especially if you had a spear pierce your side. Uh, it's true. Jesus was truly dead when he was placed in the tomb. And now the cloths that had been wrapped around him were sitting there along with all the spices. And the head cloth was neatly folded like a a towel in a hotel bathroom. There was no sign of a grave robbery. Something else must have happened to Jesus. And finally... John also steps into the tomb, entering that room cut out of the rocky hillside near Jerusalem. And John now sees too what Peter sees. He knows that Jesus' body has not been stolen or moved. Something else has happened. Something wonderful. The light goes on for John. Right then, he remembers what the Lord Jesus had told them. Jesus remembered, or John remembered rather, how Jesus said that if the temple was destroyed, in three days it would be built again. Jesus wasn't talking about the temple of stones and bricks. He was referring to the temple of his body. He was referring to himself. John remembers how Jesus had said just a couple of days ago that he would go away and that then he would come back again. Christ had taught the disciples that the Old Testament said that it had to be this way. Now in our Bible translation in verse 9, it says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I think a better translation is, for up to that moment they had not yet understood the Scripture that it was necessary for Him to rise from the dead. They had not yet understood the Scripture. In other words, standing there in the empty tomb, this is the turning point for John and Peter. Now, they see and they believe and they understand. They understand now and believe what the Old Testament had prophesied about Christ and His resurrection. When John says Scripture... In verse 9, he's referring to the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't yet been written. Think of Psalm 16 and how that psalm speaks of God's Holy One having a body that is secure, having a body that will not see decay. Think of Psalm 40 and how that psalm speaks of the king being lifted out of the pit, being given a firm place to stand and to live. We're going to sing that psalm after the sermon. Think of Isaiah 53.11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Or think of a prophecy like Hosea chapter 6, which speaks of Israel being restored on the third day to live in God's presence. The Lord Jesus is the true Israel of God. The Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, and all the others like it. The Lord Jesus was the fulfillment of the mother promise in Genesis 3.15, the one who would have victory over the serpent, over sin, and over death. The Lord Jesus had to rise from the dead. It was necessary for Him to rise from the dead. Why? Why? Well, think back again to the connection between sin and death. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Christ bore the curse of God against sin. He became sin for us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. We heard that on Friday also. Jesus paid the price in full. Sin was dealt with in exactly the way that God demanded. So it follows that death could not retain its hold on our Savior. Scripture teaches that death had to let go of Him because sin had been vanquished. Because sin is vanquished, death must be also. Victory over sin must entail victory over death. Loved ones, that's part of the gospel for us too, because through faith, we share in Christ's victory. John saw the empty tomb, and this was God's instrument to open his eyes. He believed. He believed that Christ had risen from the dead Fulfilling what he himself had spoken and fulfilling also what the Old Testament had said about him. He believed. This new faith is not defined in any meaningful way here in John's Gospel. It's simply described as belief. He saw it and believed. In fact, one of the remarkable things about this passage here in John is the way in which the Gospel writer simply lays out the facts. You know, elsewhere in this Gospel, I don't know if you've ever studied the Gospel according to John, but if you do so, you'll find that there's a lot of depth. And there's a lot of interpretation that's going on. A lot of theology, you could say. But here in this passage, the Gospel just gives us the straight facts. The emphasis here is on the historical reality of what took place. On that Easter Sunday, on that morning, at a specific time and place, in real history, the heart of Jesus Christ began beating again. In real history, the lungs of the God-man began expanding and contracting again. Easter Sunday morning, some 2,000 years ago, suddenly, in Jesus' brain, the neurons began firing again. He came back to life. And his disciple John saw and believed. Later in John 20, the Lord Jesus spoke with his disciples. One of the things he said can be found in verse 29 when the Lord appears to Thomas and his doubts are put to rest, Jesus says, Because you have seen Me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Loved ones, we have not seen Jesus after He has risen from the dead. Unlike Mary, Peter, and John, We haven't seen the empty tomb. But that's not a bad thing. Our Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a blessing for those who do not see Jesus or the empty tomb with their eyes and yet still rest and trust in Him. Still believe that He is the risen Savior who has victory over sin and death. God will bless us when we believe in Christ without seeing that He is alive today and sitting at God's right hand. Why is that? Because God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to trust what He says in His Word. You see, brothers and sisters, in our text, our Father is putting a question to us, His children, this morning. My children, I'm your Father. Are you going to believe Me just because I told you? The Father is asking us this morning, each one of us, how much do you trust Me? How much do you trust what I have revealed to you In scripture. Think about that. Of course, we all want to see the Lord Jesus someday. And we will. If we believe in Him as the risen and victorious Savior, we will see Him with our very own eyes. Either when He comes back or when we die. At the resurrection. But for today, God gives us His Word. If you want to know all about Jesus now, God says, your Father says, search the Scriptures. And when you do that, when you read the Bible carefully from front to back and believe what it says, you'll see Christ revealed. Because the entire Bible from front to back, Genesis to Revelation, it's not a book of moral examples. It's a book about Jesus. It's a book about our Savior and what He has done for us. Believing in Him, trusting what the Word says about Him, that it's all true, not just for others, but also for you. God promises to add His blessing. Your heavenly Father's heart of love will always be directed towards you. you need an illustration? Well, think of God's people. Think of God's people in the church at Rome in the days of the Apostle Paul. The people in the church at Rome had never seen the empty tomb. They had not seen the risen Christ with their very own eyes. All of that took place in a land far, far away. About two decades ago. But they believed the gospel message. They confessed Jesus as Lord and believed that God had raised Him from the dead. Paul says in chapter 10 of his letter to that church that with such a confession and such a faith, God would certainly give His blessing. He would bless them. The things amazing, with the imputed righteousness of Christ, with justification being declared right before God, with salvation, with every spiritual blessing from above, with His promise that nothing in this life happens by chance, but that everything is in our Father's hand and that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. And if God did that with the Roman Christians in the day of Paul, He will certainly do the same with us in our day. Now, scripture tells us something that is hard to believe. Somebody who was dead for three days came back to life. And to make things even more difficult to believe, he is still alive today. More than 2,000 years later, his body hasn't decayed or decomposed. It's still alive, just as much alive today as it was 2,000 years ago. That human body that rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning continues to exist as a real physical entity. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amazing. We can't see if it's really true. At least we can't see it with our physical eyes. We can't see the empty tomb. We can only read the Bible. The Word of God tells us about the empty tomb. The Word of God tells us that the Lord Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. Fellow believers, we must continue believing what the Bible says and be assured that Christ is right. We will truly be blessed for believing what we cannot yet see with our eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your inspired and infallible word of truth. We thank you for the witness that it contains to Christ's victory over sin and death. We adore you that we have a risen Savior, and we thank you that his victory is also ours. We pray for your continued help and grace, that we would always believe your word, that we would trust you, our Father. Please help us to do that with your spirit and for your glory. In the risen Savior, we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.